Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I wonder if you've thought much about grit. I was listening to a podcast recently interviewing a professor of psychology and this is her research topic, grit, tenacity, perseverance. Uh, her name is Angela Duckworth and her claim is that grittiness is actually a better predictor of success than intelligence because grit means stamina to stay the course amid setbacks and challenges. Grit is stick-to-itness, a kind of I-give-up-resistance, a don't-lose-heart ability. So what do you think? Are you gritty? Do you have true grit to stay the course? Whatever grit is, our reading seems to tell us that Paul has it. Our passage today starts and ends with this phrase, we do not lose heart. But Paul doesn't claim tenacity or willpower or stick-to-itness. 
Yet he gives an answer to the question, why don't you just give up? And it's an answer that applies to us because it's about Jesus, it's about the gospel, and in a way, it's about Advent. So let's take a closer look. Paul starts this chapter with a claim. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Since we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Paul and his co-workers have reason to lose heart. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. Uh, It's part of a series of letters from Paul to that church, and Paul loves that church. But there's also people there in Corinth who oppose him, who are criticizing his ministry and calling into question his authority. They claim that Paul is not a trustworthy guy, that he's using deception, dishonesty, that he's distorting things, maybe adding to or diluting the word of God. They seem to also claim that Paul's suffering is a red flag, that a real apostle wouldn't face this kind of hardship or weakness or adversity. So it's a disheartening state of affairs. As Paul persists in the ministry of the gospel, he has to listen to these people questioning his methods and motives. It's disheartening, but Paul says, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart because through the mercy of God, we have this ministry. And the ministry that he describes is the plain presentation of the gospel, the gospel of God revealed in Jesus. You know, when you're searching for a new house and you're on like realestate.com or domain or whatever and you're flicking through the photos and you're not sure how much you should trust them, kind of see a bit of distortion, okay, this is a fisheye lens, maybe this room is a bit smaller than it first appears. You might be looking for which photos are missing. There's no pictures of the kitchen. Let's just manage our expectations before the inspection. Maybe they're hiding something or trying to obscure it, holding something back. And Paul says, we have renounced those tactics. He doesn't want to do that with his ministry. With the gospel message he has, it's, he's not about distorting it or obscuring it. He wants to present it just the way it is. Because just the way it is, is the true message about Jesus. Just the way it is, is light in darkness, the revelation of God. It's this task of presenting the gospel and the very content of the gospel itself that causes him to persevere. It's the ministry and the message that cause Paul to press on. The ministry is the plain presentation of the gospel truth and the message is the gospel truth itself the truth that Jesus is the image of God, the one who reveals God to us. To know the gospel is to know the glory of God displayed in the face of Christ. That Jesus reveals God to us is actually a profound message. It makes me think of the language we use of us seeking and searching and finding God. It's kind of something of an impossible task. How do you search for God? Where do you look? Do you look in? Do you look out? Do you look up? How do you look? If God 
is hidden, what hope do you have to find him? If it's hide and seek, I'm gonna bet that God is better at hiding than we are at seeking. But it is not hide and seek because God hasn't hidden himself, he has revealed himself. It's a truth so central to what we remember at Advent and at Christmas that God revealed himself and he did it in Jesus. It's this great mystery of the glory of God revealed in a baby in a manger. So Paul, he has this message of God revealed in Jesus. He has this ministry, his apostolic ministry, teaching and proclaiming. And this chapter really is a window into Paul's life, his own experience and the source of his don't give upness, his don't lose heart ability. So we should ask then, how do we cross the gap to ourselves? Well, we can ask ourselves, what about our ministry? What about my ministry? What about my message? Let me tell you, we are not apostles, but we do share in this ministry of the gospel in our own ways. And not just me with my microphone and podium thing, but you, you share in this gospel, every one of us. Because ministry, it actually means service, and service is the call on every person's life. It's the response of every Christian to the gospel. Even the ministry of the apostles is in service of the ministry of all of God's people. From Ephesians 4. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service. Another translation is works of ministry so that the body of Christ may be built up. Using our gifts in works of service is not just something that pastors and ministers do, it is something that you do. Do you see the gifts that you have? Are you using them? Are you using them to serve yourself? Are you using them to serve others and serve God? We have a ministry, each of us, of using our gifts in works of service. And we have a message, each of us, a message of the true God revealed in Jesus, the Son. You might have called this every, heard this called every member ministry or every person ministry, and every member ministry then means every member don't give up, every member don't lose heart. Each one of us can share in Paul's persistence because we also have through God's mercy, a task of service. We have a task of using our gifts for the sake of others. We have a task of sharing the gospel message that we have, and we have an opportunity to serve God and serve others with our whole selves and our whole lives. So then we can join with Paul in saying, through God's mercy, we have this ministry. And we can join with Paul in saying, therefore, we do not lose heart. As we keep 
Engaging with this chapter, though, we find another reason to lose heart, to give up. Even when the gospel is proclaimed plainly, there are people who are blind. They don't see, they don't believe. Verse three, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. I know that you understand this discouragement. And I suspect that you feel it all the more acutely at Christmas. In my family, our grandparents and aunts and uncles and siblings gather for Christmas, but there's some dissonance there too. In my family, we go to church on Christmas morning but not everyone goes to church. In years past, we'd often gather on Christmas Eve and next to the tree, my mum or grandma will read from the Bible, but not everyone believes that it's true. And now as I gather with my family for Christmas, I'll tell them about my year and uh, about St. Jude's and about ministry and they don't all understand, they don't all see. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Isn't that a reason to lose heart? Why shouldn't I lose heart? Why shouldn't I give up? The God of this age is at work, he means Satan, the enemy, the opponent, but it's kind of a weird name, the God of this age. What's Paul saying by using this unusual title? He's saying Satan, he is like a God in some ways. He's kind of at work, but unseen, supernatural, but he's not like a God of the eternal. He's only for a time. He's not the God who made the world. He wasn't there first and he won't be there last. He's not the God who gets the last say. He's the God of the present age who works to blind, yes, but we have the God of eternity, the one who brings light out of darkness. For God who said that light shine out of darkness has made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Paul reminds us of Genesis, that our God is the creator of all things, the creator of light even. He makes a point to use this image of light, light of the gospel, light out of darkness, light in our hearts. And it's also the theme of our Christmas services this year, Jesus, light of the world. Light is such a rich image. Our modern world is so well lit that darkness is strangely rare here. The street lights outside my window at home, they don't flicker at all from dusk till dawn. Our world is so well lit that we can forget the miracle of light out of darkness. 
growing up, I lived in Brunswick and uh, I rode my bike everywhere, my whole family did. I rode my bike to school and to tennis practice and to friends' houses <clears throat> and we lived near the train line, the train line that goes from the city up to, towards Broadmeadows and there's a bike path that goes along that train line and I have ridden that path countless times. And back in the day, there were no lights on that path. Uh, it's hard to get a picture of what it might look like, but something like this, there's like a train line on one side, there are kind of warehouses with graffiti on the other side, and it was dark, just my flashing bike light break the darkness. But it is not like that today. If you ride along that path tonight, you will see hundreds of LED lights illuminating the way, making you safe, letting you see the path ahead and know whether you're about to ride into a puddle or a rock or whatever. It is classic gentrification. <laughs> Light in darkness means everything. It means life and sight and safety and knowledge. And the light on the bike path, it came through construction workers and wiring and solar panels, but God brings light from darkness with just a word. Let light shine out of darkness, and it was so. Light where there had only ever been darkness. The revelation that comes through Jesus is just as miraculous as that creation narrative. The light shining in our hearts is the creative work of the creator God. And no person or power, not even Satan, can bring something from nothing, but God can. It is God who made his light shine in our hearts. It is to him that we entrust our friends and family as we pray for their eyes to be opened. Let's be people who persist in praying, praying that God would take away Satan's blinding influence on them, that he would open their eyes to see clearly the light of the gospel. And let's take comfort in the truth that God is more powerful. He is the God of the eternal, the only one who can answer that prayer. Friends, there is cause for disheartenment, but there is also cause for hope. The gospel is achieving light, life. Paul says in verse 15 that the grace of God is reaching more and more people. And I wonder how many people have been reached with the grace of God since he wrote that. It's a big number, I don't think millions, it's billions of people, of new Christians. We do not lose heart, even as our hearts break for those who can't see the light of the gospel. We do not lose heart because even in darkness, even with Satan working against it, the gospel is achieving life. God is saving lives. We have reason for hope and perseverance. There's one more challenge that we need to acknowledge. And Paul gives us a window into his experience of it in verses eight and nine. He says, we are hard pressed on every side but not crushed, 
Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Paul tells us that suffering, confusion, pain, even death is at work in their lives. How can they carry on in these circumstances? Suffering, hardship, and pain can be compelling reasons to give up. They often produce big questions for us. What does this mean? Why is this happening? And even harder questions too, is God real? Is God good? Does he still love me? For Paul, almost certainly, there were questions coming from others too. What does this mean for Paul as a leader, an apostle? Could an apostle with a true message from God really also be so afflicted? And yet the answers are all yes. God is good and real. His love hasn't wavered, it never will. This affliction is not meant to undermine Paul's authority or message, but rather confirm it and display it more clearly, somehow more beautifully. Paul sees that there is worth and meaning in his weakness, and there's reason to hope in his suffering. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. (coughs) Jars of clay are the styrofoam cups of first century Middle East. They are cheap and disposable and essentially worthless. Paul knows that there is nothing remarkable about himself. His body is weak, his life is short. In the scheme of things, he's essentially powerless in himself. He's a styrofoam cup, but the treasure is not. The gospel, the true light, the knowledge of the glory of God displayed in the face of Jesus is truly precious and boundlessly powerful. Rather than being hindered by the weakness of the vessel, the power of the gospel is most perfectly displayed through the humble ministry and witness of ordinary people in all their weakness and in spite of their hardship. For Paul, this means his weakness, even his suffering, is not in vain. It is revealing where the true power comes from. That it's God's power and God's gospel, not Paul's. And he knows that there will be a resurrection ahead. From verse 14, we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus. Our passage today, it closes with a final encouragement for not losing heart. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Suffering is not eternal. 
your suffering is not eternal. This season of Advent and Christmas, it has a habit of bringing up pain for us, it has a way of crystallizing grief. We spend time in December thinking about the year past and the year ahead, and with all the joy and gratitude and hope that that brings, there is also pain and loss and worry. But this season, Advent and Christmas, it gives us context, it gives us context for our lives and troubles, context in God's big salvation plan. As we look back at the history of Israel and their long wait for a Messiah, it gives us context for our own long wait, our long wait for the end of suffering, for the glory that outweighs it all. It gives us context as we look back at the birth of Jesus and consider all that was achieved in the incarnation and in the life and death of Jesus. It gives us context as we look forward to Jesus' return to the final resurrection. And this is really Paul's main point in these verses, seeing what is unseen, seeing what is ahead and eternal. It gives us context to see the suffering that at this time is heavy and long, to see it in a new light. Because compared to the weight of glory that is to come, the present suffering is light. Compared to the eternity ahead, the present suffering is momentary. It's hard to imagine what looking back on this age will be like when we reach that eternity. Looking back on the suffering in this life, will it feel light and momentary? Maybe it will feel significant and formative, but what I know is it won't feel all-consuming. Our suffering won't feel unending. I'll see it in a new context for what they are, not empty and meaningless, but certainly not eternal. So for today, Paul says, we fix our eyes on what is unseen. We fix our eyes, we set our sights, like adjusting the lens on your camera to bring the far distance into focus. We set our focus, not on today or tomorrow or 2024, but on the life to come. Setting our focus on that which is eternal. And so we draw hope and we don't lose heart. Personally, it, it is hard to always understand suffering and especially grief and loss that are often brought to the surface at Christmas. But I know comfort. I understand what Paul says in chapter one, verse five, for just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also comfort abounds in Christ. I find on the worst days there is always comfort in Christ. And I can set my sights on what is unseen and know that I'm not crushed, abandoned or destroyed. I am waiting, waiting for the eternal, waiting for Jesus to return and make all things new. 
One of the questions we've heard answered a few times in church as we interview people is, why are you still a Christian? It is a great question. It's not an entirely positive question. It's got an edge to it. Why are you still a Christian? Why haven't you given up yet? Why haven't you lost heart, become discouraged, and thrown in the towel? Is it you? Are you gritty and tenacious? No. It's not because we're filled with hardiness and willpower. I've been called stubborn. I haven't been called tenacious. Why don't we lose heart? It's because we have the truth, the gospel. It's because Jesus came. He came to display the glory of God and we have that light, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God shining in the face of Jesus. That's what we'll hear about and remember as Christmas arrives, as the arrival of Jesus, the light of the world. And we don't lose heart because we look forward. Jesus came and he's coming back. We are being renewed day by day and Jesus is coming back to finish that work of making new, of new creation. He's coming back to raise the dead to life and bring in the eternal. That's what we set our sights on. True grit in the Christian walk is not gritting your teeth and soldiering through hardship. It is setting your sight on what is unseen, remembering and looking forward so we don't lose heart. Let me pray. Lord God, thank you for the amazing truths that we can look back on. Thank you for the incarnation, for revealing yourself to us in your son, Jesus. Thank you for what we have to look forward to, to the return of Jesus, to the resurrection, the new creation, and to eternal life. Lord, may this strengthen us to persevere in prayer and in faith. In Jesus' name, amen.